The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Listeners should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Welcome to the Wolf Den, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us again. I'm here with the pack. Today we have with our guest, Darren, who's joining the pack today, and Carl, our sound engineer. God help us all. We have a special guest today. It's Roderick Tiberius Boyd, correct? Is your middle name Tiberius? (laughs) Hey, Dan. Thanks a lot. Really good to be here. and, And, you know, just as importantly as talking to you, of course, is Carl. You know, just to be around Carl. That's, you know. that's right. That's right. Uh, I don't use it in a formal sense, yeah. uh-huh. but I will start using it now that I'm making this up. Yes, you, you should. You should. Very good. Good for you, Roderick. Roddy, welcome to our show. Is it is it true that your parents named you after Piper? No, Rod Stewart. Oh, just... I I wish I, I I have asked them that sober and drunk. Uh, both of us, and uh, uh, I am Roderick Stewart Boyd, and uh, <laughs> he is he's Roderick Stewart Boyd. It's it's really not Tiberius; it's Stewart. I was uh, born in '68, so Rod Stewart, you know, was he was around. He was around. He was singing for the Jeff Beck group at that time. I, I don't think Mom was. I asked her if she had anything she wanted to get off the chest, right. you know, and Dad yeah. didn't really yeah. dig that. <laughs> yeah, I would just say it's Roddy Roddy Piper. I would just go to Piper. Yeah, well, because my parents. Well, I, I, th- I think you're really kind of missing the point, Carl. It's not Roderick Piper Boyd. It's Roderick Stewart Boyd. Yeah, yeah but so, you ignored the Stewart. Oh, you Roddy. said one smart thing today. Just give it up. <laughs> Roddy is, many people who listen to my show, the, the foremost investigative journalist, in my opinion, today in the United States. It is an extreme compliment at one time and also a very low bar because he's one of like three or four left in the United States today. So, but he does a great job. I'm not sure about the other two. Roddy graduated from Fordham University in 1990 with an English major in language and literature and letters. So he's a dummy. uh, And there's that. Where we pick up with Roddy, and I'm going to have Roddy fill in the blanks. Uh, is when he started with the New York Post in 2005 to 2007. So Roddy and I have known each other, I I guess we're going on uh, about 10 years now, right, Roddy? And we'll get into that story uh, a little bit later because I think it's funny. Maybe you won't. Before that, Roddy, you were born uh, and then you were raised. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I've read some of that stuff. You and I have talked about it in the past, but you kind of come from a financial background that would would have maybe made more sense that you become a banker rather than uh, the banker's worst enemy. Yeah, uh, let me just say for the record, I was indeed born. Uh, that there is uh, empirical, sort of objectively verifiable evidence of that. Yeah. Uh, Check that off the list. <laughs> no, I absolutely uh, was born into a, uh, a heavily Wall Street family. My uh, uh, father, uh, Mike Boyd, ran a uh, 
hedge fund for many, many years and uh, certainly was steeped in this stuff, you know, working summer jobs, stuff like working that. Working summer jobs? And listen, yeah. look, my father sold insurance and I didn't have to work a summer job. What was your dad like? Your dad was a hedge fund titan and he's making yeah. you work a summer job? Yeah, um, this is a true story. Uh, I had, at the age of 12, I had uh, learned that kids were getting allowances. Uh, and uh, it turned out to be not just a thing I saw in the birdie bunch, but actual kids were getting allowances in the New York City suburbs. And some of them were getting fairly substantial allowances. And, and beyond that, there was an entire sort of cohort of kids who just, they didn't have an allowance. They just had access to pools of funds. Yeah. And that seemed like a, just a absolutely excellent idea for me at the time. And sure. so I broached this with my father uh, thinking, you know, you start low and you work your way up. And he did not share my enthusiasm, but what he did do was he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you halfway. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a, you know, a way to bring in some, some real money for yourself, not just a couple of bucks a week, which is what I was asking for in 1979, 1980. A few days later, it's Saturday morning, and I'm kicking around the house watching cartoons or whatever. And he says, hey, come out to the garage. I just, I got you something. And it's heavy. Give me a hand getting out of the car. So I was like, well, this is pretty ripping. And it was a uh, brand new lawn boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. So he said, congrats, son. You are, uh, you are officially into the lawn mowing business. Uh, 47 more payments, and it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I tease him about that, but he actually funded all of my capital expenses. <laughs> oh. You know, it was just a classic lawn boy hand push mower. But where, what's interesting is we lived in an area that had pretty, pretty nice zoning. It's like two and a half acre minimum. So it was. Uh, and he got you a push mower. There are so many messages in what he did. Yeah. So I was pushing this mower like I was working like an orc. <laughs> I was working like a friggin' slave. Wow. I mean, for four bucks, I would push it over three landscaped acres. Nothing is given, everything is earned. Uh, and I sort of took that with me. Four bucks. Was this in the 50s or 60s? I mean, like, what were you pushing this lawnmower? Did <laughs> it was it... like five bucks or something to mow a lawn. Really? <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Again, this was 1979, 1980. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, uh, you know, five bucks is again real money. It's God, it sucked. Yeah, working does. <laughs> well, I I didn't have a summer job, but like, yeah, I mean, I I feel your pain. There was there. I was a man child by twelve. My brother, kind of as well, eleven months older, and we were loaned out to everybody for any task you would want done, for free. Like we, I mean, if you asked for money, he my my father would be there to pick us up. He didn't participate in. And he have said labor he, yeah. he loaned us out to. And he'd be there at the end to pick us up, and he would check to see if we had asked for any money because that would be an ass whooping. So there was that. But, yeah, the working in the summer kind of sucks because, I mean, I, summer's off when you're 16, 17, 18. I, I don't know if you know this, but it, it was kind of cool. Yeah, some of them were. I mean, I again, he didn't really push off that line. I mean, he had a view that, he was not going to overly spoil me by any stretch of the imagination. So 
at those, I, I got the idea that pushing a mower sucked. And I sort my next evolution up the ladder was scraping barnacles and painting boats. Because I come from a boating family. And and so I had I spent a lot of time in boat yards. And so, you know, I what I was able to do is, you know, again, the money doing that is pretty good. But, you know, so are the melanomas if you're colored like me. I mean, I sort of make Soren <laughs> Endall look like... Uh, uh, yeah, you and Soren are, 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 are fairly um, the same complexion, which is to say translucent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can see the, the pancreas and the, and the small intestines, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Roddy. You should probably get that checked out. Yeah. A fiber-rich diet, you know, I mean, they're clean. So, Roddy, from there, your father unspoiled you to Fordham University? Yeah. yeah. He, uh, obviously believed in hard work and education. So you went to Fordham, graduated as one does and matriculated to where, to do what? Believe it or not, the sort of defining thing of my, you know, as a young kid is, I remember my parents watching the Watergate hearings uh, when I was five or six years old, maybe six, seven or something like that. And uh, I remember thinking all that was really important. And so I, I wanted to do what led to creating Watergate hearings. And break into buildings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, not getting caught breaking oh, into see, buildings. I uh, so I worked on uh, petty thievery for any number of years. Uh, no, I, so I had it in my mind. I was going to be a journalist from the earliest age and I didn't really understand much about it. But when I got into high school and college, I just started you know, doing some journalism, doing reporting. And uh, I had, you know, was on, I'd been hired and was sort of part-timing at a local paper in Connecticut and kind of covering whatever they needed covered. And, you know, fires, school boards, uh, some late night crime stuff. Mm. And then uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, got pregnant and I got married young. So was it, you met your, you met your then to be wife in college or, 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 or high school? Yeah. College girlfriend. And so uh, again, another situation where my parents sat me down and said, uh, hey, you know, nice girl, we're excited to have a grandkid, sex is wonderful, and by the way, you need to support this new operation of yours. And <laughs> my dad said, you know, I'm not writing checks for nothing. Uh, so he, he I hopped into Wall Street for the next seven or eight years. Yeah, okay. Oh, so that's what you I did. I worked my way up from j just a desk clerk. <laughs> uh -huh. And what, what did you, what, what did you, well, I, desk clerk. Yeah. I, I imagine it's, it's, it's a lot of clerking behind a desk. So that, that couldn't be great. Where did you end up in that, in that firm? Are you there five, six years? Was it your dad's firm? Yeah, he ran, uh, he ran and eventually through the miracle of sort of bank purchases and poor bank manage, you know, uh, operational management, it became Wachovia securities uh -huh. and that took the great, uh, swim that required no towel after uh, they bought the Sandler's Golden West Financial in, uh, I think it was 2006 for $26 billion. Uh, and <laughs> away that went nine months later. But right. uh, with that pick-a-pay loan of uh, a portfolio of uh, variable mortgages. Right. But uh, coming up in the 1990s, Bethany McLean and I have talked about this at length. I mean, the sort of cultural issues of, you know, asshole bosses uh -huh. 
and and verbal Shut up, abuse Carl. Uh, that didn't exist <laughs> in the early 90s no it so, didn't. uh i i used to i used to go to the kitchen and bring back you know water bottles and soda and coffee and stuff so they called me water fuck for a while wow. like it was just like okay well that's what you call like you know yeah. uh, uh i mean it was just it was that sort of you know highly graphic profane uh kind of yeah. kind of culture my immediate boss had worked for decades at solomon brothers and he was just a big phones big screamer big phone smasher and and uh all of that taught me a pretty good lesson which is i can tolerate anything after a while for a book <laughs> you know, any amount of abuse <laughs> yeah the guy the guy wasn't even creative Right. I mean, he wasn't even like, it's not even really that funny. Like, here's a guy that brings water. Fuck. Oh, I will put those two words together. <laughs> water fuck. And I will call him water fuck. I, I mean, it was just like mean to be mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was degrading to be degrading. And that was, that was good enough. Right. I mean, that was good enough. I mean, it was, it was, it was rough on me. And I had political connections there. I can't, I, you know, again, I, I've just, I've talked, with this a lot with Bethany McLean. I mean, it's to have been like a, just a single woman in that milieu, the way she was in, in at right. Goldman Sachs's mergers and acquisitions department right. or any number of other people from that generation. I mean, it, I, I'm pretty astounded. There weren't more suicides. You know, I really wait, am. Wait, did you say, did you say murders and acquisitions or mergers and acquisitions? Oh, what's mergers. A, what's, oh. what's the difference? Mergers. <laughs> What is the difference? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> non-shareholder value uh, deal fee-inducing transactions. Yeah, I look. It's interesting you had these conversations with Bethany. Um, I, I I don't know Bethany all that well. I, I met her one time, and I'm a big fan of her work. You should have her on, man. I mean, yeah. she'll yeah. she'll blow your socks off. Uh, I, I I've seen interviews she's done and they've been they've been great and I I do plan on asking her to join us but you talk about the '90s for for you being you know water f boy uh, or whatever and and I you know I, I've got to figure out how to say this in this day and age but Bethany's not an unattractive person. I mean it, that's what I'm saying. Like it was, <laughs> I'm just a pretty average looking schlump. Yeah. You know and and yeah. I mean it must have been brutal. On her and some, you know, I, I, I don't know other women in journalism from that era, mm -hmm. but uh, who who came up through Wall Street. But I've met any numbers who've came up, come up, excuse me, in the last fifteen or twenty years, when at least there were, you know, strictures, you know, in place. There were at least you couldn't like grab a woman's ass in public, mm. which was the pre, Wait, you know, what? that was sort of the that was. That that could be a done thing. That could be a done thing at a number of firms, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I it must have been brutal. I mean, it must have been. Yeah. I I I really. I mean, not she, sure she, how... she she told you some stories and and basically said it was that it was that brutal for her. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's brutal. We look it. <laughs> And we all her story is her own, but you're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, yes. no, I, I, I would, I would ask her about that. And, and everybody here, kind of saw the '90s. I mean, I remember when, uh, when I, you know, I, I, I didn't like it. Carl has often said to me, "He's a person. He's not a piece of meat." That, that is and true. I agree. I, that is true. I, well, he's both. Uh, 
I, I will tell you a true story, though. I actually was uh, in, in one of my early mid-level executive jobs. I was a regional manager. I, I was sexually harassed by my boss. And it was humiliating. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was it, it actually it actually went down at the company. Like fellow female regional managers, my coworkers, turned her in. Wow. And yeah. I, I did not want to talk about it. I was just like, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I mean, like whatever. Whatever. Oh. But it was Holy humiliating. Shit. What's Carson's number again? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever, I don't think I ever, I think I blocked it out until you just really brought it up. But it was, it was a. I mean, I'm sorry about this, man. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not cool ever. The it was, not cool it was a big ordeal for like six months. And well, that long. Her punishment was, we were, we were in the San Francisco office. Her punishment was they uh, transferred her back to headquarters in New York. <laughs> Just like get her out of the seat or whatever. She suffered. She suffered. Yeah. Uh, but I can't, you know, listen, I'm sure it's much worse for a woman, but it is pretty humiliating for a guy to be like, you know, yeah, you know, she's she's a bit out of control. Um, yeah. All right. So from from your your illustrious trading career, you didn't want to stick with that. You didn't want to do that. You didn't want to be in the investment banking side. No, of I mean, I, I was miserable. I was profoundly miserable. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I managed to earn a decent enough income to take us out of abject poverty. Yeah. But I, I remember thinking the first chance I got to get the hell out of there, I took. And I, I remember thinking, oh, well, here's a six-figure bonus, and, and now I'm going to be economically independent for the balance of my years on Earth. And uh, you yeah. know, what I mean, what a fool believes, right? I mean. Where, so where did you go? Where did you end up? You went up, uh, be, you became a writer eventually, right? You didn't yeah, go yeah. right to the New York Post? Fordham wasn't a really big journalism school, so I didn't know a whole lot of people in journalism and I, and I wanted to work my way up a ladder. So you had to go to New York city to do that. And, and so I just wrote letters to a bunch of places that I was aware of in 1998, uh, you know, institutional investor magazine, yeah. a bunch of other places, uh, Forbes fortune and, uh, the street.com, which was just getting launched in, I think that time. And the only two places that contacted me back were, Institutional Investor Magazine and thestreet.com. And they they replied back like three months after I joined II. Mm -hmm. And I, I just began working my way up the ladder. I mean, I, I kind of created a deal. Like I because I had worked in Wall Street and I had I had a pretty decent numerical head for things. Uh, you know, I was able to own I, I was given the beat of the bond market, the uh the fixed, you know, sort of the a non-convertible fixed income market. And, and I exactly. was, I, I understood what a mortgage backed security was, what a REMIC was, a collateralized mortgage, you know, derivatives, things of that nature. And, and so I, I cut a deal with my editors. I said, look, I, I'll give you a decent flow of stories that we're not seeing right now. On the back end, you know, will you allow me to do some deeper dive, some enterprise pieces? And they said, sure, you know, I mean, but we're going to hold you to that first piece. And, and so I did. I mean, I, I, I was able to knock out my stuff by 334 and then, you know, kind of put on a different hat, 
and and stay later or take it back on the train with me and and I was able to go after a bigger game and and the and they honored the they honored the deal you're at institutional investor now you'd gotten this job what was what was your big get there at institutional investor yeah so I, I was the big stories I wrote there were about I had done a lot of reporting on the two giant mortgage guarantors, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. I've heard of them. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, and they were just, they were in their sort of apex at that point of, of you know, both real and soft power. And I, I noticed, I wrote stories about how they were opaque and sort of poorly governed and, and things like that. And, Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> I know, God, yeah. Did <laughs> no instincts. And I noticed something interesting. And, and you know, the, obviously, I, over time, I was the, the, the thesis of my reporting b- was borne out. But I noticed something interesting. It, it moved the stock prices a little, but that's not what the companies were furious about. They were furious about their swap spreads getting wider. And which increased their funding costs, uh-huh. which made them, you know, depending on where the swaps were, you know, much less profitable. And I, the other thing that was interesting was was that they were not terribly concerned about their stock price, and is because of some of the people that came over my bow that sent me emails and began a dialogue with me that that you would recognize to this day, like guys like Jim Chanos. Mark Cahotis and, and a few of the guys at Rocker Partners and stuff like that. David Rocker. Yeah, yeah. Those guys were very much of the view that because Fannie and Freddie were managing their earnings, there was nothing anybody could do that mattered to their stock price because they were guaranteed to have a 15% increase in operating income per year, no matter what. Yeah, that's the thing about quasi-government agencies. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, yeah not really well. I mean they were government agencies in the in, you know when when uh, things got real as the kids say, <laughs> then they became government right. agencies. Yes. So that kind of super interesting stuff, and then it takes you to the New York Post, which is you know very very. Well, actually, it took me to the New York Sun. Oh. And I was there for there, a few what, years. What's the difference between the Sun and the Post and the uh, Times? Yeah, no, it's a great. The Sun was a sort of funny. Was this broadsheet, you know, like a very wannabe New York Times, uh, but they had. Uh, it was owned by these, I guess you would call neoconservative zillionaires, uh, like Michael Steinhardt and a few others, Roger Hertog and Tom Tish was, uh-huh. was of the Tish family, mm. and so uh, you know they had a really pro- pronounced you know, op-ed view, but they allowed the reporters to do whatever. And they allowed me to do whatever the hell I wanted, which was really cool. Yeah. And and from there, I went to the New York Post business desk. And, and that's where I kind of really hit my pace. Uh, certainly an interesting time to be alive, you know, as a, as a business journalist. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and I think, I think your, your, your big fight there I mean, you probably you had you had many knowing you. Many, and and feel free to talk about all of them, none of them, especially if the CEO, in any particular case, you know, strips down naked and sets himself on fire and runs down the street and says, "I stole all your money." 
If there are any of those, we want to hear it. But the closest thing I can remember to that, and I came into it a little after this fact, maybe around 10 or so, but was uh, Patrick Byrne at Overstock. Yeah, I mean, I'm in 2005, uh, I don't know, the summer of, I think it was five, uh, I was just sitting at my desk reporting uh, whatever I was reporting, and a cousin of mine who was a bond trader emailed me, said, you got to hear about this crazy conference call that one of my bankers told me about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want you know, whatever conference call, you know, right. rather talk about dental hygiene or something. And <laughs> right. But I had like 10-minute break. I mean, there, when you work at a place like that in your post, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so I just sort of called up. I never heard of the company for the life of me. I called up overstock.com, looked up their conference call. I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. After 10 minutes, I was probably halfway through. I went and brought the, printed it out, brought it to my editor, a guy named Dan Calruso, wonderful guy. And I said, I, I, Jesus, whatever came before, now there is this, because <laughs> this is, this is something else. Well, remind, remind I, all our, our listeners what exactly this conference call entailed. Yeah. Patrick I mean, was, Byrne spontaneously spouting. Yeah. I mean, so, so the CEO of a, of a, a very fast growing internet, it was a, uh, uh, I guess sort of a, a smaller competitor to Amazon in that they sought to yeah. sell just about everything, but they were, they were originally overstock.com was originally an internet closeout retailer right. and uh, overstock. And they would buy like block trading. They would buy a ton of stuff that wasn't able to be sold from a dying department store and they'd buy it in the hole and they'd, you know, mark it up and sell it. I mean, totally valid business. And they, the CEO was just, he had had this conference call and he went off on short sellers. He went off on Herb Greenberg. He went off on Herb Greenberg's now partner, uh, a brilliant forensic accountant guy named Don Vickery. Yeah, he's great. And, and he went off, uh, I think it was, uh, certainly went off on a bunch of reporters. And I mean, he spent much of the next three years going off on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but, uh, but like, I mean, the punchline is. Oh, yeah. The punchline, I'm sorry. I, I, I should, he, the punchline is, is that the capital markets were controlled by a Sith Lord. Get to he called him a Sith Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that ordered up hit jobs against the Sith Lord uh-huh. for all of his powers also took the trouble to manage a long short fund because he would call well, up. Yeah. As Sith Lords do. He would call up uh, as, as, yes, as a semi deity does. Uh, he would call up reporters to uh, uh, parcel stories out. He'd be like, look, today is, you know, Tuesday, the 19th, we're going after overstock.com. Uh, next week, we're going after take two. Uh, uh, the next, the week after that is uh, Taser. And the week after that is, you know, some other, you know, invariable piece of shit company. Again, the gift I had was I was able to, I, I knew what my way around a financial filing. So I, I just took home the annual report, took home their, quarter reports. And again, this is before smartphones and all that jazz. And I was like, yeah, this company's growing like a bullet, uh-huh. but it's, it's accounting is no cash flow, yeah. uh, increasing debt and a one hell of a weirdo as a, as a CEO. And, and so I just started reporting around it because I remembered one time when I was a trader in the early nineties, a company we were looking at banking had said to, to a couple of people in the pricing meeting, the CEO had said, you know, 
well, you know, I just, I don't care who you sell it to. Cause the whole thing was you want to allocate shares to, to outright accounts like Putnam, State Street, Fidelity, above all Fidelity, uh, uh, ERISA accounts like, you know, state yeah. uh, pension funds, yeah. uh, long-term, you know, solid money, real money holders. You don't want, they, they call them fast money was fast money was hedge funds. And so when you broke syndicate, you didn't want too much of the book going to hedge funds. We were looking at a, a it was like a shit company or I forgot what it was, but it was, uh, uh, we were going to have to move about a third of it to hedge funds, fast money. And this guy's like, he just started riffing on friggin' hedge funds and, you know, crooked this. And he's using all kind of notionally anti-Semitic language, like upper West side, liberal New York banker types, you know, is like, well, okay, how could that okay. be construed Jewish in any way? Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, Seinfeld watchers, if not Seinfeld. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, and so the, the asshole boss I had at the time screwed the meeting up. It, we didn't wind up doing the transaction. And he said to me afterwards, he's like, if you ever see in your career, uh, CEO blame short sellers for operational problems. Don't get angry. Don't do anything. Call stock, borrow stock loan, see if you can get about 200,000 shares of real stock <laughs> and lay it out at the market, you know, just short that stock. And, and so uh, I really had that I had that sort of DNA, you know, and I went after Overstock. They made me and Bethany McLean persona non grata. That became litigation with BioVail, right. uh, a Canadian wonder company. Right. And then from there became sort of the battle royale of all, which is I went after, I'd done a lot of reporting on a company called Fairfax Financial Fairfax. Holdings. Yeah, Fairfax uh, Financial. And well, holy mother of God. Well, uh, did that launch before we get into mother of God, Roddy, I mean, I, I do have to admit, like, you know, as I was starting to say in, in Patrick Burns' defense, I remember the first time I realized the financial markets were being controlled by a, a Sith Lord. Um, you know, Darth Darren and Darth Carl here, same thing. But he he also on this call, as as I remember, spontaneously announced that he was not on cocaine. Uh, that was the second call. I oh, had call nice. follow up. <laughs> that that was the second. I called up their uh, investor relations guy uh afterwards guy named kevin moon and i said right. look i have to ask you is there anything i need to know or you want to disclose right now on the record about substance abuse or mental health right because he he had elliot spitzer and jim kramer taking direct orders from from the sith lord i want to put out there that the sith lord was mike milken who oh yeah oh, really i mean a passable, a passable version of a villain. I, I credit where it's due. I would give him a Darth status, Darth Milken. I'm fine with it. <laughs> exactly. Overstock sued uh, Rocker Partners. Uh -huh. uh, uh, particularly, they went after David Rocker uh, for <laughs> just the, 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 I guess, the uh, roadshow equivalent of a photo bomb. You know, he, he, they were, Overstock was peddling the deal at the 21 Club in New York City to, you know, institutional investors and, Rocker asked a question about, you know, I don't know, increasing costs and no ability to convert it into cash while debt expenses are going up, which is eternally and evermore 
a pretty dire recipe for corporate health. Right. And, you know, that that kicked off that fight. I mean, which was funny because all the fights Rocker Partner ever had. Mark Cahotis was in there too. Cahotis launched them all. Cahotis and Monty, Mark Montgomery, used to have a, a TV show. I mean, uh, an, one of the first internet radio shows. Mm-hmm. And they just sat there and bashed companies that they were short and and any company that they were looking at and david rocker is entirely different you know he's from my father's generation you know wore a brooks brothers suit to work every day and and you know yeah that was the that was the beginning of the end of that relationship i think uh with rocker it it led to it entirely i mean that was uh well that started the there had always been a certain kind of management that would sue don't I know it? Mostly reporters. It was always, you never wanted to sue like a hedge fund that had money because right. they would turn around and a hedge fund has money and lawyers usually. Right. But uh, Overstock just used all of its working capital, right? Mm-hmm. And what was notable, I think, you know, 15 years on, 16 years on is it did two things. And here I'm deadly serious, not picking around. One, you could always get short, as a reporter, you could always get short sellers on the record talking about a stock prior to, like, you know, sort of a battleground stock, like an Enron, uh, uh, WorldCom, you always could get, and there were dozens and dozens of short sellers that would discuss this stuff. Mm-hmm. The Feshbox, you know, started it in the 90s. Uh, 82. Uh, and then Joe and Tom Barton, you know, did it too. And they stopped talking because to, they began an entire wave of litigation. Right. focused on suing short sellers. I joined that wave in 2011 uh, <laughs> as, a, as a defendant. Yeah, you were on the second kind of evolution of right. that wave. And, and it also did another thing, which is it made the journalists the story. Yeah. Which that had never, I mean, like, you know, from time to time, like people would go after a guy named Jesse Isinger uh-huh. uh, or Alex Berenson before him. Uh, certainly Bill Albert used to get a lot of crap. All really, really fine reporters and authors. I mean, my God, are you, I mean, yeah. Bill Albert is a legitimately brilliant reporter. He really is. Jesse Isinger is every bit of his match. Yep. And I, I know Jesse, Jesse and I have become friendly over the years and, you know, like Bethany, you know, most, and I, I, I let me not talk bear tales out of school, but many reporters who have really impressive reputations uh, in a broader world are actually rather shitty reporters, but they're extraordinarily like quick at self-promotion or they're really good at Twitter. They just couldn't, they couldn't find their way out of a paper bag journalistically. And Jesse and Bill are not among them. Herb Greenberg, of course. Well, yeah, Herb's in there as well, no doubt. You know, Chris Byron before them. But I mean, my God, you know, those guys could play this game. Now, if you do financial investigative reporting on a material, serious sense, like you do original work, and here I'm going to, okay, I, I, you know, I'll go into the breach. I'll give, you some, I'll give you something you can, you know, tweet out or something like that. You know, a lot of reporters are taken, you know, Patrick Byrne made a lot of accusations about all business reporters taking dictation from short sellers. Uh-huh. And I got to say, you know, I certainly am friendly with a broad sort of array of short sellers. I take, you know, I take dictation from none and, and more is the pity were they ever to try and offer it. But a lot of reporters take some pretty gift wrap stuff from short sellers. 
And I, I have found that post Patrick Byrne, certainly post BioVail and Fairfax, if you're gonna do an original enterprise reporting on a battleground stock, where there is a very public dispute between longs and shorts over either valuation and or ethics and governance, boy, oh boy, are you best have really good edit function and then more importantly, legal review because they're coming. That happens to this day. I mean, we should talk about Dan McCrum doing that great job with Wirecard as well. And because he I did- Someone else was involved in it. I forgot. Yeah. I'm getting there, Roddy. Okay. You were the star okay. of it. I mean, every, I'm sorry. Everybody All these knows. years in. That's the one here's that the, I'm most Here's, here's the difference, though, is that you do this day in and day out, right? Yeah. And I think one of the other byproducts of what you're talking about is by making the reporter part of the story. So many less reporters do it, right? So it was and, – and have done less and less of it since then. Here you've got Macron coming out there working for, you know, I mean, FT is big, big paper. And they went after FT. They went after him. I mean, like, they're still doing this shit. Uh, and it turns out, as you proved, along with others, that, you know, they're a big old fraud. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other thing, like, when you become part of the story one way or another, and those legal threats are coming across the bow. Uh, boy, oh boy, do you learn what the value of hard reporting is and the economic costs. See, there wasn't always economic. When people thought of economic costs to investigative journalism, they thought about stuff like salary, benefits. Right. You know, the, the same thing you do when you cost out a seat to add somebody at Wolfpack Research. Uh -huh. You know, here's what this guy's going to bring in. Here's what it's going to cost. And, and you make a rational allocation of capital. That, that never had to happen before in journalism. And now if, if you're bringing in, you know, uh, an investigative reporter at a place that doesn't have a deep commitment to it culturally and economically, right. and there's about nine places left. I mean, I'm, you know, that in, do. In the world. Yeah, it, like it's a lot of places say they do. And, and yeah. I'm telling you, I don't think there's 15 on earth left. And, and my little goofy shuck and jive operation is one of them. Okay. I mean, for all our flaws, we are one of them. Right. And Cause I'm telling you, I mean, when you, you know, you've cut to the bone, your staff and you've laid off your proofreaders and uh, broken union contracts and all that at the printing plant. I mean, you are not willing to take on, uh, you even, you know, yeah. sort of, uh, costly litigation and, and it all, yeah, costs. Not, I mean, it's six, seven and, figures of, of costs and, when and, you and, they really, and they really won. They, they really won because there, there are so many less of you today. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had contact with Patrick Byrne over the last X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And I, in our conversation, I said to him, you won. You got, I mean, you beat Rocker Partners because everybody ran out of money. So you all just agreed to go your own way. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you you won. You completely changed the journalistic landscape. You, you won because of the financial crash happened at the same time as the lawsuit. And, and then Fairfax comes in and sues everybody. It's like that movie, The Professional, Gary Oldman. <laughs> 
everybody. Yeah, I was I was the guy. I mean, I'm that New York reporter that yeah. led to the fucking thing. Oh, it was it, it was Chanos, it was Stevie Cohn, it was you. I mean, you've been mentioned in like you know all the best places, and this lawsuit actually went to Discovery, and uh, I guess you know, good for you, Michael Bow at Kasowitz. Though I will say. Subsequent to that, in 2019, I whipped your ass in court. So there's that, Mikey. Uh, but on the Fairfax case, everybody came in and there was discovery, right? Yeah. It was pretty painful for, for, for most people. Now, what did they get out of you? I mean, what, what can they ask a reporter for in discovery? I mean, can you just say go pound sand? They subpoenaed, I mean, I had a sort of, I had learned to discount subpoenas. I got Herb Greenberg, I think a few weeks ago, talked about him getting a subpoena with Jim Cramer from the SEC. Oh, I got yeah. one of those too. Oh, wow. And and so I just learned to say, okay, well, this is sort of the operating cost of doing business. You know, it is what it is. And in 2012, after I had left the New York area and relocated to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina and begun sort of a new chapter journalistically, that's when they came after me. And so uh, I had to use about 30,000 of my own money, Fuck uh, me. but we fought them off. We, we fought them to the state Supreme court where they, they wanted my hard drive, my deposition notes. You know, they wanted to speak to my wife, get her, like if she had a phone or texts or anything. And so wow. we turned around and, you know, the state Supreme Court really affirmed uh, a report, you know, the right of journalism and we, they were annihilated. You know, Bowie sent a letter to my, to my lawyer, who is still my lawyer now, and uh, Ed West and said, look, when we saw the strength of that opinion, we said, there's no way we're going <laughs> to get through that bank. You know, we're not well, going to get through that. Uh, well, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that that was in New Jersey where Fair, Fairfax lost to you guys. And, and, yeah. and then he tried to sue me in New York and lost there basically on the same grounds. So so thank you for setting precedent a state over for us. That, that did help to uh, a degree. So from there, since we're talking about CEOs who strip down naked and run down the street on fire saying I stole your money, we go to China. Yeah. Which is, is where I met you. Do you remember where we met, Roddy? We met, if memory serves, I think it was 2011. It was at a conference yeah. uh, that was put together, I want to say by Loban. It was a panel put together by Loban Loeb at a conference they were having. It was a Mitch, uh, Mitch Nussbaum venture. Yeah. <laughs> and it was yeah. Uh, me, you, Mitch. Well, no, no, no. Mitch was, Mitch was, Mitch was moderating. Mitch was moderating. And it was me, you against the room. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't know who you were. And, and like, put this into context. At the time, Sino Clean Energy was suing me and Mitch was representing them as their attorney. That's, That's right. Fantastic. Yeah. And he invites me to be on this panel with, I, I guess, with you. I didn't know who was going to be there, what it was about. I was just basically like, yeah, fuck it. No problem. I'll be there. We're going to talk Chinese companies. I don't care if you're suing me. Whatever. I'll go do this. And he moderated. It ended up being you and I and Peter Cirrus was on the other side yes, of Grillo Capital. Mr. Yeah. SEC problem, but it's all good. Yeah. Yes. And uh, some high up banker from Roth and then some guy from, I, I you know, I think it was Credit Suisse or something like that. Yeah. And by this time, 
a lot had broken. Like you had China Media Express had broken, Sinoforce had broken. Harbin was the big one. Uh, well, that Harbin was what they were hanging their hat on because Harbin was yeah. going to be taken private. And that that's why I think they were holding the conference so they could say, see these these reports that have been coming out for the last year. Some of them are outright lies, like this this one against Harbin. I remember meeting you and, and, and not knowing. I was sitting next to you, so I assumed, like, you know, we, we had some things in common. And then we just smashed that entire panel for the for the whole time uh, with facts. I, my defining memory of that panel was, I mean, there's a couple. But one is, is a Roth analyst saying they were really confident in all of their buy recommendations, which were 100% across the board, he took the trouble to add, because they had analyst staff uh, based both in Beijing and in Shanghai. Yeah. And so they were really confident that there was no chicanery, which I, I laughed and then you were smiling. The second memory I have there was they had the corporate secretary yes. of Harbin was yeah. in the audience and she was obviously a plant. And so I had written, I don't know, 11 or 12,000 words about what a fraud that was. I'd been through the factory actually. And, and she, she just got up and started yelling and accusing. And I, I was like, lady, hang on, let's talk. You were, so you leaned over and said, sit down and shut the hell up. <laughs> well, thought, you just started yelling at her. And, and, I, and, and, but, and so things got goofy. Mitch is not what you call a huge backbone guy. The third is really great was uh, your partner, Maj. Yeah. After everything's over, people come up, shake hands, give cards, whatever. He flips out yeah. and goes to this woman. And he's like this skinny, you know, mild dude and just starts fucking hollering at her. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I was like, oh, hey, I'm pretending this isn't happening. The conference from me. is over. Everybody's standing up out of their chair. And Maj starts screaming at her from across the room. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, what, what, what exactly. actually would happen is she was the, the U.S. based PR person for Harbin. And as a part of their going yeah. private deal, we had just, we had just realized like the week or two earlier, she was getting a $4 million payout as a part of this Harbin deal. And that's right. And what I ended up saying to her, I was like, you know, listen, I didn't hear everything you just said right now. But you and what you were basically saying is we don't understand China because we're not Chinese and we don't know what we're talking about and it's cultural. Yeah. And I was like, but what we do understand is that you're a public relations person and you just got four million dollars. Now, I don't know what they call that in the Chinese culture, but in the American culture, we call it hush money. So you should sit down and hush and yeah. take your four million dollars. And then, and yeah. then and then Mitch jumped in. But. Yeah, I, I thought the funniest part of it was, too, that Maz was just waiting for somebody to say, okay, goodbye, everybody, before he, he jumps up and just launches and starts screaming. And I'm just like, who is that guy? I, <laughs> <laughs> How did he get here? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know him. This strange man. <laughs> but that actually was not the first time we met, Rowdy. We didn't meet, but the first time I saw you was at a oh. Roth. Uh, yeah, the Roth. Wait. Conference at Fountain Blue, a wonderful hotel. I would recommend it to everybody. Absolutely Roth beautiful. Really does it right when they when they have one of these gigs. And look, I was still kind of a believer. I think that conference shed a lot of light for me on like, you know, there were there were supposedly two different online education companies that had the only license in China. 
and each one of them was calling the other one a fraud in private. And I'm just like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. And then I go to this breakout and this CFO is talking about his company and somebody asked him what his guidance for next quarter was going to be. And he said, what do you want it to be? <laughs> and then I see this translucent guy with light brown hair kind of jump up, uh, it being Roddy, saying, oh, is that how it works? <laughs> we just tell you what we want the numbers to be and take it from there, Roddy. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly as you said. I was there. It, I mean, the China hustle didn't do the utter debauchery of and just the moral failure in the air (laughs) that that place represented. I mean, uh, in the exhibitor hall and at the center of it all was the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ booths, which just really, you know. Yeah, they had competing booths to take these companies' uh, listings. I I would go, I would stop by there four times a day. And the second time, it just I'd ask them, like, what are you doing morally, you degraded animals? And they would say, like, get out of here. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I didn't remember that was you until years later, but I thought, yeah. wow, that guy, that guy's coming unhinged. Balls somebody on him, huh? somebody <laughs> should see about that. <laughs> it's probably going to be a problem. Yeah. And they ushered the CFO right off the stage. It's, you know, he's. I mean, there were so many great breakouts at that, I met Ben Way for the first time. Really? Uh, really, truly revolting oh. piece of meat. <laughs> it's like, where were you? Like uh, when you heard about Ben Way the first time or you met him. Uh, that became yeah. an epic, epic fight with you and Ben Way. And, and, and I guess yeah. Ben had started with Carnes and Dune Lawrence and others. He dedicated a website to you. So congratulations for that. I mean, that's really, can you top this? No, I cannot. So uh, handing it to Ben a little bit, he was at some point like, okay, like freedom of speech, huh? Let me turn this shit on its head. Yeah. What's it with the traffic bears? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm pretty proud of my reporting career. If it ends tomorrow, I go to my maker and say, I did what I could. Uh, with what I had and uh, certainly missed a fair amount of stories, certainly should have dug harder on others. But Ben Way, I saw him from a mile distance and I nailed him. I nailed him at the New York Post. I nailed him when I had a little goofy, the financial investigator blog. I nailed him, you know, uh, uh, later on. And I got, again, don't ever believe reporters when they tell you they have a lot of contacts within law enforcement there is a pretty strong wall between especially federal yeah uh, uh, regulatory uh, and and enforcement mechanisms like especially department of justice and fbi or u.s attorneys on fbi and on the benway story is one of about four times in my career i've i've actually experienced when they come over and contact me and the, the fbi reached out to me when they tagged him, when they when they raided his house and raided his firm, they gave me the story, so I was able to break it. But they quietly, in a very back channel, this wasn't happening, but it's very much happening. Yeah. Way uh, they said, let's just say there are constituencies within the building here, which is fully plaza where the FBI and U.S. attorneys are located, that read a lot of what you were saying 
particularly when you got people on the record talking about funny wires to China. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. I will say you did nail him. You nailed him like a Swedish model. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was but, uh, and that's, I, I'm just joking with you, Ben, because you know, you have a thing for Swedish models, right? So, Oh God. Yeah. But we, we, to be fair to Ben, any charges that were eventually filed against him were dropped because of a fourth amendment violation of illegal search and seizure. So like, Hey, proven innocent. I mean, innocent till proven guilty. Yeah. And, and, and yes, you did some great work on that. And we should also mention that Bill Alpert did a great piece in Barron's on uh, Beware the China Export. Oh, Leslie. Yeah. Leslie Norton. Yeah. And Bill. And, yeah. And Bill did not get enough credit in the, in the China hustle for that. He did a great job. You know, you, you were you actually went to China to investigate some of these companies. And I remember you were telling a story about walking into the office of China Media Express CFO and he might have been getting very familiar with himself. <laughs> Watching. He was doing the Jeffrey Tubin. So. Doing the Jeffrey Tubin. We were, that's half right. So I walked into the China Media Express office, uh, CFO office. It was completely abandoned. <laughs> there was pieces of a desk. And, you know, like when you're cleaning out like a, you know, like a bad move out situation, like when you're in college, you just have a pile of garbage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I go into that pile of garbage and start pulling out documents because I was like, OK, I bet there's some stuff in here. Uh, and I got it translated. And I think some of it didn't matter. What was really funny is I just the lady giving us the tour. I was laughing at her, okay? And so she got upset and left me alone in their seat, their executive offices. I just started walking around. Yeah. So I walked into an office where, first of all, the offices, they, they hadn't paid their heating bill. So it was, it was 50 degrees, <laughs> 55 degrees. It was, I mean, I was freezing. You gotta keep warm. Yeah, so, so I walk into one office and there's like two workers that are now this office did have furniture I, I will stipulate but it was a guy and a girl and she was uh, i guess helping relieve some tension of his oh. and, uh, yeah yeah so it was so, cold and then can you guys imagine this scene this guy just shut the door shut the door <laughs> no i told you to lock the door I, I i walk in and i'm with another guy uh, uh i'm with brian luter and, oh, and uh, i remember that guy and who just in, like you can't you'd have to invent him if you were pretty good like right you know? he was always at his iphone like recording like every conversation with these ceos yeah so i walk in and this guy is you know this chinese guy is like got the ultimate horror walked in totally surprised thing I guess his female companion did not cease her engagement. No. Uh, no. And she was a true, like, you she know, she was that committed. is grace under pressure. That was yeah. courage. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, she needed to move on with her life. So, I mean. You know. Yeah. And look, she's not going to let some. She's not going to let you and Luter fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And Luter's not filming. We go a few offices down. There's 15 people asleep on the floor and they have a laptop from the mid nineties. Yeah. And, and the lady who was giving us the tour comes back and explains, this is their R and D department. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. I start laughing and then two security guards come up 
Looter starts screaming at them, like the way Maj was hollering at that Harbin wench. And, and so it becomes, you know, epic. You know, I, I said to Looter, look, we're going to get in a lot of trouble in a very short amount of time. Uh, <laughs> let's just get out of, you know, the entire city smelled like a fart. You know I mean? It was like, right. oh boy, you know? And, and <laughs> so I wrote that story well, okay. that, like yeah. a day later, <laughs> Refer- you know, a day later, the entire... Like, I think NASDAQ stopped them. Carson came out with something. Excellent. Uh, Okay. All right. Well, referred referred to a a PR individual. Gian. Uh, Insulted an entire city by saying it smells like a fart. fart. Uh, Check, check. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Where where else do you want to go with this, Roddy? (laughs) I mean, exactly. Yeah, no. I mean, I was just like, I was talking to Luke. I'm like, it can't be the entire city, like everything smells like poorly ventilated stall at the Arkansas State Fair. Oh, yeah. But here we are. Yeah. You know? let's, <laughs> let's throw a state in there. <laughs> this is an equal opportunity to insult a state in uh, the United States, too. You're fantastic. Uh, Arkansas had it coming, my friend. Oh, uh, <laughs> my mother was born in Arkansas, you prick. Uh, um, all right, so... Um, anyway, Ms. David, I truly am sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, that's yeah. fine. So it's, it, it's a pretty interesting thing with, uh, with, with the China based companies. Like, I, I don't think much has changed in the way of like how we're viewed as, as a way to get a lot of money fast. And if you're not telling the truth, it's not against the law in China to steal from a U.S. citizen. So we still get some of these companies here and they've taken some big ones. I mean, they've taken Ace Greenberg, uh, I guess was in one. Uh, you wrote a book about him, Fatal Risk. Hank Greenberg, Maurice Greenberg, Hank Greenberg. Hank. Head of ARG. No, it was Ace that, uh, that lost that on CCME, yeah. right? Yeah. What do you have against the Greenbergs? I, you know, uh, I, I got along as far as any human could be said to get along with Hank Greenberg. I got along fairly well with him. Yeah. I, I would stipulate that, again, he is one challenging cat to get along with on an extended basis. Right. Um, but he knew you, you were know. writing a book about him. Yeah, he knew. I mean, I was interviewing him, and, and he just, he didn't really terribly much love when I would, you know, say, look, uh, I'll interview you for stuff, but then I'm going to do my own document work, and I'll interview other people, and Boy, he does not love the idea of being uh, scrutinized. You you got access (laughs) to like all his personal files and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. One thing Hank did that I would, um, I have to say, you know, to my dying day, I'll say it. He said, I will plug you into either the old boy AIG networks coupled with, I will let you see a lot of the documents I based decisions off of. You know, that was very, very helpful. It was also helpful that he opened up his his network to me so that people who had been living in fear of him in one shape or another decided to open up their own documents. So it was, I, I, you know, I wrote that book, Fatal Risk, in 2000, I think it came out in 11 or 12. 11. And... It was honest as hell. I mean, it yeah. really, really looked good book. at the global financial crisis rationally. 
I, I could have made about another hundred thousand large if I had decided to take a drop on Goldman or you know any of the other idiots, but I didn't. I played it straight down the middle. And uh, of course, I think there's about eleven people alive who read the thing. That's not true. I, I, fifteen, I, yeah. Well, yeah, I right. know eleven of them who have read oh. it. And uh, <laughs> it, it, exactly, look, you know, history repeats itself. So it's not. It's it. It is a worthwhile effort on your part to go back and read Fatal Risk. Um, it's 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 really looking pretty bubbly out there, and you ain't kidding. These companies and banks that were too big to fail, remember, they're bigger now, and they're in some cases bigger than countries. So yeah. have a look at that and, and and see where we are today with our debt, um, and where we are with our relationship with China, and you know, past the shenanigans that you know you and I personally know about a lot of China companies. That's where most of our conversations have happened over the years. But I think, you know, your seminal work in the last four, five, and six years have been, one, a little less interesting because it's been so talked about Valiant Pharmaceuticals, but you were the first on it. And then I think really awesome work, award-winning uh, uh, worthy is Insys Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Where, you know, people were dying. And, and you were on that for years where... You give that attention that can take years where short sellers just like, hey, man, I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, about Valiant first. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Everybody gives Andrew credit for breaking Valiant, uh, although in his report, he references you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't know that his report was completely accurate. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you have to say about that. So, I mean, I I. Got on that in, I'd been watching these these large funds, long and short, throw bolts at each other. You know, Bill Ackman pounding his his book, Pershing Square uh, Founder, on, uh, you know, owning a huge block of Valiant. And I'd watched, let's say, Jim Chanos was very clearly, very publicly discussing its, its problems. And I credit where it's due. I, I don't truly like the guy very much at all, but John Hampton had to, uh, he did, you know, very interesting work on, on that Bronte Capital, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for, for that. We, I, don't, we don't like John Hampton now? I, uh, I've, John and I have uh, had a parting of the ways. Oh, you uh, fell out, mentally. huh? huh. Uh, I, I personally had no problem with him, but yeah. he took a lot of, lot of profound offense to what I wrote about a guy called Fraser Perring. And, uh, <laughs> okay. and, uh, all right. Well, I felt I fell out with him before I before I knew him. So uh, <laughs> I was, was there when you fell out. I was. I it was, that is I, uh, still don't know, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so so I I uh, I'm just sort of setting that stage. And I I had you know I I knew something was horribly wrong with that roll up, and I spent months hunting for a sort of a way in, and I found it very very late at night on a. Um, a message board uh, for pharmaceutical industry people. And I, I found just a simple question. What is Philidor? Except the person asking the question was like a regional manager for Valiant sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, I figured, yeah, you know, if, if a regional manager doesn't understand what on earth Philidor is. So I spent a bunch of time looking at it. I actually was in your neck of the woods. 
which is, it was designed to get around pharmacy owners, ownership rules. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get a copy of uh, uh, a hearing in California where the founder of Philidor had been uh, caught publicly lying about who owns Philidor and its connection to Valiant. And I found a lawsuit <laughs> where Valiant was demanding $70 million from a... Uh, from a two-man pharmacy, you know, for some reason. And, and uh, as one does, I, I mean, the funny thing about that, I would have been able to put that story out a week earlier, but I, one of the sort of hallmarks of the reporting we do at, at the Foundation for Financial Journalism, we give people very ample chances to respond with very detailed, you know, here's what we're writing, here's our sources on it. And they, they screwed me around for a week and then they pushed up their earnings to pre-announce what Philidor was. So I beat them into press. And it was one of those deals where I went to drop my kids off at school and I came back and there was, I, I probably, I don't know, 70 emails I had and 30 phone calls, you know, Andrew left was like, take it down. I've got a bigger report. Well, I'll cut you in on the puts I own, but I'm like, Andrew, I don't, wow. I, I'm a reporter. Leave me alone. Wow. Shut up. You know? Wow. Wow. You just, you just, you just dropped some shit on Andrew, by the way. Uh, 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 and Andrew well, and I have known each other for decades now. I like him. Uh, you know, I mean, he's a, oh, a friend of me on one end. He's, other than he tried to bribe you with puts. I mean, yeah, no, he wonderful. was very clear, you know, look, how much stock are you short? I was like, what? Well, he knows you're not. I think he was trying to make a point. Wait, Andrew, when have I ever done that? You know, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, I I knew it might have like an impact. I didn't know uh -huh. that <laughs> oh. you know it would set off what became right crazy. It's crazy. My aha moment with Valiant and and my Valiant story is is a terrible one. Weeks before you published and snuck around my backyard without calling me, um, <laughs> I I had read some, a blog called AZ Value Investor. Really went after the account. Yes, you do really went after the accounting of Valiant for like, uh, you know, over a year or two, this, this guy was just like really going in and I, and I come into work and I'm like, Hey man, I, I really want to look into this. And one of the people working here felt like they had a close relationship with Bill Ackman. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, and he's like, nah, listen, you know, it's, you know, it's a shit company. I don't agree with him, but like, this is really going to screw up my relationship. And I, I'm like, you don't have a relationship. Buddy. So I mean, like, it, it just became a back and forth, and I'm like, okay, billionaires don't have relationships. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. The fucking guy wants to call you and 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 talk about whatever interests him on something. When when you lose that mutual interest, you'll never speak to him again, basically, which is I think close to what happened. But I'm just like, you know, I mean, how much do I want to fight about this? So we moved on to something else, and you guys absolutely killed it, right? And I, I mean, I'm sure. God bless Andrew made, you know, tons of money. I know you don't short. Everybody should realize that you are not invested. Unlike the rest of us who, who, Never. who do Never. make the money. We'll get into your business model, which is extremely flawed. 
Uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But the Bill Ackman conference call, because I thought, okay, here we go. I mean, this thing's dropped to a hundred bucks now, maybe a hundred and ten. I mean, that's it's 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 in half, fifty percent. And now we got a week later, and this guy's putting a conference call on for the world, and uh, you know, this is gonna squeeze. This is gonna be a pop here. Something bad's gonna happen to anybody short. And he says nothing. And in the middle of saying nothing, orders lunch, like around the table. That's right. Yeah. He was like, okay, wow. like we haven't said anything for over an hour here. And um, what about what about you, Frank? What do you want? Do you want you want the no key salad? I like the cob. Uh, the cob's a good one. What what about you, Janice? Uh, yeah. Would you you think you're just gonna have the same brie sandwich? I'm like, what is going on here? The other part of that is that I think is is great to your point, Dan, is he also had a three minute on the record aside about the temperature of the room. He's right. like, right. How right. he's like, I pay for the like he's upset right. about, you know, right. could you please raise or somebody bring me a sweater? I mean, I, I was like I'm feeling I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a bit chilled. Uh does uh Hey you, can you take your sweater off and, and give it to me? I mean, <laughs> does anybody have a blazer, an ascot, maybe? Uh, it was crazy, and you had to think these people on the other end of the phone that want this to go up and have so much money in this just had to be killing. I mean, the stock just tanked. I mean, it just it, it went down to eighty, I think. Um, you know, in short order before it just completely fell apart, but. What a douche. Um, I mean, to come out as the moral high ground on Herbalife, and and I think he was right about that one, by the way. But Yeah, I generally do too. Yeah, and using morality as an argument and then defending Valiant so badly. No morality in that company that I could see was, well, a bad look, we call that in the business. But anyway, I mean, but, but it's not even just defending the morality of like uh, sort of addressing Herbalife as a, a particularly vile scourge upon Latino and, and yeah. you know, sort of people, you know, the lower income strata of America. I, I and agree. I, with again, that. I feel he had some he had some fact sets I there agree. that were that that were very meritorious. And, and then he turns it around. I'm like, oh yeah, there's no healthcare economic costs in America. You know, like no one, no one is is vexed by the American healthcare system. And you know, fifteen hundred dollars a quarter for toe fung. I mean, for for foot fungal cream and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, it was well, mark like, marking it up. It was an old product that they you know marked up fifteen hundred times. Everybody knows the story. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and Valiant just is more of a cautionary tale about these these high-flying, you know, I mean, as Chano said, right? I mean, where, where are you looking for fraud first? Probably CapEx and, uh, and roll-ups. I mean, I mean, roll-up is... Eternal. It's eternal. Evermore. But I, I, I think, I mean, look, I, I know you've done some, some great work throughout the years. You've had a very long career. You even wrote nice stuff about Dick Fold at Lehman Brothers. Um, by nice stuff, I mean you eviscerated him. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and having having said that, like that's that's going after a tough guy. I mean, if your name's Dick Fold, you got to be able to fight. Yeah, you got Dick, Dick called me after the, the, the Tuesday after the story came out. We were at Fortune, and he said, 
He's a, you know, he's like, I bet you feel pretty good about yourself. Like you live in Brooklyn with all those hipsters. Yeah. And I said, what? I feel good. Said, My Dick. name's not Dick Fold. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, I think I think your most seminal work that I that I've seen out of out of all of is Insys Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, here's a drug that absolutely killed people. I mean, like you know, it was off label marketed, and people died. And you're the one who really stayed on it. And what a what a story of like what this company is. Yeah, I I spent a year. So I mean, again, you know, I, you and I have been sort of in fairly constant contact on and off for the last, you know, 11 years, simply uh-huh. because I, you know, we have a, the same, I think, moral outrage at the state of affairs. Oh, I thought we were friends. Nick- <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, said, I always get confused about that shit. You know, also, no, no, we like each other. I mean, I'm saying, but we share the anger of, of the injustices we in- encounter. Right. And you decided to to, you know, actually do something about it. You saw the system, it didn't work, and you actually tried to do something about it, which is still, very unusual. Still, still trying. Among, you know, <laughs> affluent business class, you know, and and uh, it's a lot easier to funnel money to a 501c4, trust me. And I was reporting that story, and the the organization I went, you know, I worked for, uh, at that point, we were called the Southern Investigative Reporting Foundation, we were completely bankrupt. I hadn't drawn a salary in four months. I remember that. And so I came home from work one day mm-hmm. and there was a woman sitting at the table, you know, it's like six o'clock at night. And my wife said to me, I, I don't think I've ever shared this. My wife said, uh, Roddy, you know, I really believe in what you're doing, but we need to eat. Like we need, like, it was right. like the kids were my, the two younger kids were talking about like the holes in my pants and stuff. And so my wife said, we can't take this anymore. Who is the woman you know, you're talking about? Is- so we took money out of the house. She took, I wow. owned a, you know, I owned a house, but we took some money out of it. Wow. Uh, she took my salary for 18 months out of it. And I, uh, I was able to take some of that money and go to Arizona and Southern California for, for weeks at a time. And I did, you know, I mean, I did a lot of document work as those stories I think would attest, but we also, I also went retail. I also found where people lived and door knocked them Uh and showed up. I mean, one, one woman who worked there also like earned a little extra money as a stand up paddleboard instructor at a, at a lake Uh at a dam in, in uh, Arizona. And I would just go to her yoga class and, and I would like, Uh you know, and I, I got to talk to her. Get your you know, like I got former salespeople to talk to me. Uh-huh. Uh, current salespeople. I got actually a a one of their. They have like you know all organizations have like top tier award. The Diamond Club, the Presidents Club. Uh-huh. I got a member of the Presidents Club to talk to me on the record, and and that was because I built the credibility of being face to face with him. You know, like I'd shown some balls in attacking a high flying stock. Right. But that, that was my job, you know, but I was able to actually be around where these people lived and meet them for coffee. Uh-huh. And I, I just was able to stay on them. And could you just show me what you mean by that? Like in that memo, could you just give me your notes from that? And so I, I was proud of that work too. And I did all of, of 2015 and 16, I spent, uh, with exceptions for writing about like clogged toilets, like Valiant or something. Yeah. And, and I, I was really proud of that. I did four or five 
very extensive yep. uh, investigative pieces. And it's funny, I, I, you know, I'm not a very much an audience response guy, but I was looking at my initial, you know, I was getting 10, 20, 30,000 unique likes, you know, by the end of it, where I have internal audio of, <laughs> of the company openly discussing right. multi-state insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people, I was getting like 6,000 likes. People are like, yeah, whatever. And it was just, I would get these teasing emails from investment bankers, from analysts. Like one guy said, look, pal, you don't know what you're doing. I think you got a good heart, but, but you just, you just, this is an up stock. It's, it's an opioid company, mm-hmm. single name pharma, you know, they call the specialty pharma companies. They're here to stay. It, you're just, you're giving me a good buying opportunity. And wow. I would say, can I talk to you on the record? And, and, you know, of course they'd all go away then. Right, right. But sure. I mean, I, I just remember that as like, I really look, I mean, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, and I goof around on Twitter and stuff like that. And I goof around when I generally get together with you and, and other people were friendly like Carson and stuff like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I've made profound economic and personal sacrifices. Yeah. Uh, you did all uh, this for the low, low price of mortgaging your home. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I just remember the end of that series as being sort of like the end of world war one for like the French or the British, like, right. It just, the shooting stopped. Right. And I thought no one cared anymore. I had, I had more, I still have more stuff uh-huh. and and I'm still getting more stuff. Uh-huh. And and I remembered all of that when I was up in Boston for the trial of all these people. And I walk in the first day of the trial, I kind of got pulled aside by some people and they shook my hand and I, I, it still means something to me. Because at this point in my career, I'm just taking moral victories, right? I mean, there's no suggestion that mm. this foolish thing I do is gonna be economically independent, but- no. But the DEA, it was a senior DEA officer on the case, the senior person from Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, the FBI, and one of the three uh, federal prosecutors that were trying the trial. And they just said, look, this is going to be, we're going to be here for a while. It's going to get ugly. We can't deal with you now, but we just wanted to shake a hand. Yeah. And I did cool. never happened to me. Very cool. To the extent that I can take that memory with me into my end of days, I will be a rich man. I mean, because again, that's just not a thing that, and that kind of stuff happens like when you see actors portraying reporters in movies, it doesn't happen in real life. I I can tell you that. No, that's a very Hollywood thing. And that it happened to you is well-deserved. You wouldn't expect that kind of thing that they would recognize you know you or you know last but not least appreciate you so that is very cool feels like it could be a a second book for you rowdy (laughs) yeah we're you know uh based on the sales of my first one (laughs) i think you should write about like you know take a collection of valiant insist and a few others and then also a standalone china thing you should do but that's just my opinion so what you do do it was it was a Southern Foundation investigative way too long of a title. Yeah. It's now it's now called the Foundation for Financial Journalism. There you go. <laughs> Much shorter to the point. And you don't trade. So like and I've known this about you since 
you know, 11 years ago, it's baffled me back then. It baffles me even more today. But you rely on donations. And even after doing something like Valiant and uh, Insys and all the China stuff you did, and then yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of other things that you've done that are just as important, maybe not so much as, as Insys. You've got to, you got your cup in your hand. Like I come to my website and, you know, give me money for honest work and nobody wants to do it. Like nobody wants to donate, but they want to bitch about me shorting and how much money I make. I mean, it's like, my question is, what is your problem that I pay myself to do my job or how much I pay myself to do my job? Because Roddy's got a different model that asks for your kindness as an investor for honest work and you're not giving them anything. Sorry, that's my rant, Roddy, but like, I no, think your business model's fucked. <laughs> I mean, it, look, I mean, you, you're really clear about what you do. You disclose everything up front and you make clear. And I, I know this about you that the kind of stuff that Wolfpack research does now and then geo investing before you did is just incredibly intensive and and now you've got you know an element of political risk involved and it's yeah. it's it's not easy it is heavy lifting well look i i, I did i didn't mean to veer that into woe is me i'm, I'm woeing you um yeah well, yeah woe I, is me but that's that's eternal right i mean look i i i because i approach management and i tell management, look, if you can tell me that, you know, the five people I've interviewed, and by the way, here are the notes from them and, you know, <laughs> and all that stuff. And here, here's what I'm looking at in your disclosures. Here's what I found in a litigation, you know, footnote to a litigation or exhibit, right. you know, if you can say, Hey, look, there's an argument here. It's nuanced, but hear me out. I'll always drop it. You know? And I, I think that being the company understands I'm not trying you know, their, their equity price or, you know, going back to Fannie and Freddie, their swaps or bond prices, none of that matters to me. Also, I will, I'll be as tough to a, a short seller yeah. and whatever line of shuck and jive they're peddling as I will be. To I think I, I think I read an article about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I mean, look, how many times can I be pitched Tesla? I just, that's one example. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, like you know, you're, <laughs> Come invest in Stalingrad and die, they said in 1943. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> that's true. But like, you know, w w with you, like, yeah, like, listen, I have plenty of money because of the model that I incorporate in my, in, in my work. And then your model is, is for donations and you're, you're putting your house up and, you know, I know that's still a struggle for you, Roddy. And then, yeah. and then I guess, you know, look, I mean, we got to talk about everything, including controversies, like. At one point, I guess a couple of years ago, there was a generous donor gave you a donation of stock, uh, of, of, yeah. of all stock over stock. Yeah, and, of all stock. And it turned, it turned friend into foe all over the place. Like people yeah, just came I mean, after you. Like people are not giving you a dime. Like I was always catching shit for giving you a few thousand dollars a year. Like, I mean, I don't think sure. I ever gave you more than five or 10 grand. And you would catch shit over it. I would catch shit over it. Like, you know, you're paying them off. And I'm like, look, man, I'm just trying to donate here. And then you've had, you had this happen. What was that like? I mean, that was miserable because 
I mean, it was really, really nasty. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, Mark Cahotis went from being at some point a, uh, um, you know, a skeptic of, of Patrick Byrne and Overstock. He became a, a very large investor and um, he got, he went to a conference, Grant's Interest Rate Observer Conference and said it's going way the fuck up. And it did in fact, and then it started off a firestorm and, at the end of that year, 2017, uh, I was actually folding uh, Surf up, uh, so their investigative reporting up. I was like, you know, look, you take a message from the world. It's people don't want to donate to this. It's obviously not something that matters tremendously. And so I had uh, I notified the board, uh, and I had begun uh, I had begun the process of uh, closing the 501c3 with the IRS and the state charitable solicitation license from North Carolina. And Cahotis, I never mentioned anything to him. He just calls me out of the day, out of the blue one day, uh, at the end of December, 2017, and says, you know, I'm making a donation of 5,000 shares. He was offended when I said, I need to step back. We need to have a board meeting about this. Can we discuss? And, you know, he's like, is my money not good? And, and you know, we had a board meeting. We, we agreed to do it. We sold the 5,000 shares at market. Of course, the stock went ripping. So we gave up like another 40 points. Oh, but we're wow. not investors. Wow. It was about a 300 and I think $30,000 net. And so two guys on the internet, but I other people as well. Uh, a guy named Gary Weiss, a very, at one point, prominent business journalist, a former professional friend of mine, and Sam Antar who was a CFO of the Crazy Eddie yep. uh, scam and uh, at one point was a legit personal friend of mine and personal friend of Mark's. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, that's, that seemed pretty bitter. It uh, was, I mean, it, it was, bad. I mean, by the end of it, they were, they're just like, I'm a whore. Right. Yeah, I'm a scumbag. Right. You know, I mean, they were children, I, so children I, I got brought into it. I mean, it was, yeah, I just dropped it. I was like, okay guys, it whatever like you say I am. But I mean, look, I, you're right. I mean, I, I, I need the, I need to be economically independent uh, from asset valuation and I need to be not profiting from what I write about uh, in a direct way. Uh, I, I find, I would argue. I need just the opposite, by the way. I would argue my, my reporting is direct and clear yep. and it doesn't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a critic, but I'm not, frothing at the mouth i'm not trying to be like some activist short sellers are R roddy though it's 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 almost like you're, you're it's farcical you're set up you're like a unicorn and, and i've seen some instances where they've just flat out accused you of well who's paying you uh, yeah who are you working uh, that's, for that's every day you know yeah, and it, yeah. it's like yeah you know no and then and the real trouble is about the model is i can never get to a certain large amount enough amount where I trot, where you can go to the the prominent funders of civic center journalism, like the MacArthur Foundation or the Google Foundation or the, you know, the X and the Y MacArthur, you know, all these prominent names you see at Frontline or something like yeah. that. And I, it, it's so, you know, you've I, tried. I had a great interview. You, you've tried with all of them, right? I've tried. I had a great interview with a with an absolute name brand foundation. You would know it in a minute. And I went up, put on my best Brooks Brothers suit and cleaned up real nice, went there and interviewed. And they were like, oh, we love this. This is awesome. We need somebody standing up direct nose to nose with corporations. And I totally read the, I mean, again, I, I think without hyperbole, I, I think I have some level of uh, neuroatypicality because I, 
I viewed them as like saying, that's like, they are going to give me money. So I brought that up. I was like, okay, well, you know, can we just sort of war game out what like a funding project might look like and, and what's involved? And they looked at me like, you know, like I was talking in Aramaic and they said, oh, are you kidding? And like, we would never fund you. And I'm like, um, what? I would, I, I, what we, we were just loving each other a second. And they were like, yeah, no, that kind of nose to nose trench fighting, that's just litigation. You know, like we don't want any of that. The Ford Foundation funds thematically. Like, and they, they pitched me an idea. And I, well, I, I, I guess, I, guess I would recognize the name Ford Foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, Roddy? You should have taken me with you because I speak Aramaic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, and they said to me, uh, and here's my Coptic intern, Dan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you and and so they said, you know, like if you had Blackstone or a Goldman Sachs funded thing that was exploiting like Indian casino loopholes or something, you know, would you be interested in investigating that? And I was like, look, I'm down with what's the victimization of what's going on in the reservation, but I, I, I gotta go where my story leads me and I don't have that story and I don't know that that's a real story either. And, right. and so that was many years ago and I've never even gotten close to those people since. And, and so you need a, a real pile. And I, again, I, I'm totally an idiot, right? I thought launching this thing, people would be like, oh, hell yeah, I'm a retired guy, you know, and a, you know whatever. I, I, you know, I worked at Merrill Lynch. I'll write this guy a 10,000 year check. It's all good. Yeah. Not so much. At the end of the day, it's yeah. like, I'm a fool. You know, I just go yeah. back to framing houses off the books, I think. Yeah. Probably uh, work out well, better. I, I think that's probably, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, just people, they they don't care. There's a, there's a bias in everything everybody does, including you. Like everybody's got oh, sure. their oh, bias. Yeah. There's just not enough people that want critical research, and I believe you're going to have a hard time with that, and and yeah. always will. You know, I I I guess at this point I could start donating again because like I just don't care anymore. <laughs> no, right? we're not uh, talking about that. It's, uh, that's not. What, all right, you know fine. I, mean. I won't then. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, Roddy. You know, rapid- Carl doesn't come cheap, man. Think about what it costs oh. to keep him in a seat. Yeah. And what he's going to demand next year. I, I I have to tell you the the big big and I say big with Carl, bonus is that he he's so cheap. <laughs> he's a, it's 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 a great value. You know, look, we could go on and on, and you know, I'd I'd like to have you back. You know, certainly joining on panel discussions like with a couple more funny people like a you a herb a sure. whatever. But one of the things that that I so admire about you. I want you to talk about for just a second is you're a sober guy. Well, I am now. I wasn't for a while. There. Yeah. I mean, like before we get into, uh, you know, uh, the kind of nice work you do being a sober guy, please give us the most interesting non-sober story as it relates to a journalist. Did you, you know, ever smash a glass on a CEO's head while you were like <laughs> on a bender or I wasn't an everyday drinker, but when I drank, I drank rather heavily. And I drank, let's say, three to four nights a week. Uh-huh. Journalism and, and drinking are uh, are bedfellows because you put somebody, a source near near booze. Right. They loosen you know, up. The loose lips really help float my ships. Yeah. And, and so I would drink hard with like bond traders and portfolio what managers. Drink hard, what does drink hard mean? Does it- I mean, so I... I drank two things primarily. I liked uh, 
like bass ale type beers. Uh, and this is before this so heavy micro right. custom craft bespoke brew uh-huh. revolution. So you had to go to like Irish pubs to get that stuff. Right. Give and, some uh, ass. and I drank, I liked red wine and, and a little, when things were going nutty, a little, let's say scotch or tequila. Right. And so I, I met a guy, like, so I, it was like a friend of a source who knew a lot of what I needed to report on. And I was drinking heavily with the source and the, 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 this friend, who again, who had all the information and all the documents, he wasn't really drinking a lot. Uh, and he was giving me some stuff as, his, uh, as he began to loosen up. And finally, like I was, I, I was kind of getting tired of his being, of his sort of as a right, of his caution, of his, you know, reasonable concern about talking too much near a reporter. And I just sort of grabbed this guy. And I, you know, I put my hand on him and I said, I have a wife and four kids and I'm pretty, actually three kids at that time, and I'm pretty desperate to get to a bigger, broader, you know, place to do my reporting. So you need to make a decision whether you need to be friends with me, you want to be friends with me, but you've got to be friends with me. <laughs> Or you're going to have a lot of problems. Wow. What a, what a dick. <laughs> the couple of people at the table were friendly with me. Yeah. Like this guy actually blinked and he became a regular source because he was oh. just petrified. Because oh. I told him, I said, I, I'm just going to put your name near stuff you said already. And we'll see how, see who wins. See who the First Amendment was there for. Ooh, and wow. a couple of people at that table were like, We've, that's like, I don't know how I feel about that, man. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And that was about two months before the end. Yeah. You know, like I was starting to go across guardrails, you know? Yeah. I was starting to cross lines that didn't really want, you know, need, you know, want me to to cross type of thing. So you look back on that as as a kind of seminal moment of of regret that you had that like, you 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 weren't as professional as as you need to be and 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 live in your own body yeah i mean i i again was letting the animal fears and resentments that existed in my body the anger the yeah. fact that yeah. i felt i should be at a wall street journal or or new york times and and but i'm not and and so i decided to sort of hotwire the process by threatening a guy yeah. and uh you know, I look back on it and say, uh, I mean, I certainly, by the, you know, when I sobered up in, in March of 01, like, and began the process of a 12-step based recovery, I did contact this guy and I explained that I never would have done that, but I caused him harm and pain. And I I sincerely regret that. He was very generous and, and engaging with me. Uh, but I mean, I could tell, I, I mean, I... I'm pretty sure that if you get this guy alone, he's going to just be like, that guy's a madman, you know, like he's never going to. And I, I realize that that's, you know, I have to own the fact that I scared people like that. I scared people I loved and harmed people I loved. And, and, uh, and I did worse, you know, I, I um, drank too much and drove. I, mm. I, yeah. gotten a lot of arguments and I hurt, I, you know, I should have, 
paid, I, although my bottom was low enough, I should have paid a much greater price than what I paid. Well, you don't often hear people say that. Uh, that's, that's an interesting retrospective. I mean, for, you know, yeah, it's, it's the one thing I really do, uh, I do hate about the 12 step program is the, you know, apologizing to all the people you've ever threatened. It's just Making like, amends. We don't yeah, I just, I, I just, take I, a long time. For I you. don't, I, it, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah. If we, if we can move it down to 11. <laughs> yeah. It's been said by many, many men and women uh, over the years. So, Roddy, I, but you know, I think that was, I, I decided great. to, because I'm a reporter and, and alcohol is so integral to so much reporting and it's internalized at such uh, uh, an early stage in a reporter's career, you know, as a young reporter growing up, you're like, I'll just take this guy out for drinks or I'll take her out for drinks. Uh-huh. And and so a lot of reporters and, and people in journalism and media, uh, unsurprisingly, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, uh, develop some fairly compelling uh, problems, you know, central to, uh, you know, they, they add in pills or now it's weed. Uh-huh. And, and so, peop- and, you know, I found that, you know, certainly on Wall Street, this is not a, it's not a visible problem, but it's right there. And so I decided to do something a lot of people don't do, which was I decided to break anonymity and try and connect with people mm-hmm. who might be, because I mean, I have to tell you the last three or four months where you could not, I, I woke up and went to bed every night in a jail of my own making. And, and it's, it was lonely and bitter and I know what that's like. And, and, you know, I have to say, I mean, I, I, it's, maybe this is inappropriate for me to say, but in, in the sort of amalgam of people in media and people in finance and people adjacent to both law or, or, you know, uh, uh, forensic sciences or stuff like that, uh, what we call financial Twitter or FinTwit, I can tell you, I know, three people who have committed suicide. And, and it's always like another story, right? It's always, oh, well, you know, they're, you know, they passed on suddenly. Well, yes, I mean, it was a sudden death. That is the nature yeah, of suicide. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, no one themselves. was talking about this. Yeah. No one's talking about the fear and anger and isolation. Did you ever have any of those thoughts, Roddy, in, in those last three months before you quit? Did you? I ever- never, never thought of suicide. Uh-huh. I, but the thing is, is all of those not yet. Well, I didn't do this, so I'm not an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Those were dropping every other week. Right. Like I'll give you an example. Like I used to tell my wife, she'd be like, there's a big dent in our minivan or I'd be like, Oh damn it. Laura, you know, every time I go to whole foods, one of these rich Greenwich women just put the shopping cart in the side. And, you know, and the thing is, is I was drunk the night before. Well, hey, garage, you, could have a, you, know? you could also have an extra minivan if you didn't shop at Whole Foods. Just so you know. <laughs> but. Whole paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was like all of those things, you know, those lots of lies. I'm going to give you another one because I've shared this publicly. My, my young children who are now married and have wonderful rich lives of their own, one of my my daughter did a, a drawing. It was it was draw your own kitchen, and she had a recycling bin and a shelf full of empty wine and beer bottles. Uh. And and so my wife just showed it to me one night, uh. and she said, uh, "Yeah, pretty nice kitchen we have." And I was like, "That's a good drawing." Oh, oh. Yeah. and she's like, well, "Yeah, well, the teacher 
was asking us, hey, you know, she's internalizing some things here. Right. Like, you know, and I was like, God, that just friggin', you know, and I couldn't stop. So I said, oh, I'm going to, I won't drink this week, Laura. I promise. She, you know, at that point she was on my case. And, uh, and of course I drank, I drank, you know, to excess three nights later or two nights later. Right. Cause you have to get it all out right before you quit. Right. That's what people say. And then they don't quit. And <laughs> you know? I, listen, I can see the pain on your face for sharing that. And, and thanks for sharing that with no, us. I mean, it, it's yeah. look, I mean, it's, it's the war I fought. It's not the war other people fight, but it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a war. A lot of people are fighting Roddy. And I, yeah. and one of the reasons I bring this up is because I think you sent out a tweet uh, a month ago, two months ago, something like that, that said, Hey, Look, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery for over 20 years or something of that effect. And if you're somebody who has a problem and, you know, and on FinTwit, you need somebody to talk to, you know, I could be there for you. And, and, I, and I saw that tweet. What's the response been? I've been, I've been humbled. Okay. I was surprised. I figured maybe somebody would say something, you know, ask me one question. It turns yeah. out a lot of people had been, I, I don't want to say wrestling with this, but have had this issue at some point. And, yeah. and I've been able, I, I would say at least five or six people I've had a substantial dialogue with. Uh, and, and, you know, A, to hear them out, B, to, to, to just share some of my strength, hope, and experience. And a couple of those people have i mean there's a couple that really kind of seized the bit and said you know i gotta stop like it's not all me um you know because i mean one guy in particular had you know he you know he'd had about 20 not yet's in a 10-day span and he just called me up frantic he's like i I found your number on some web and you know and i talked to him for hours and then i talked to him the following morning for hours and and he's, you know, I was able to to be on his Zoom call when he picked up his one year chip. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And this is a guy who's getting ridden out of his house on a on a fast horse, you know. And another guy was able to give up a certain drug habit he had. And I've been talking and engaging with him, and he's he's at six months. And and a couple other people, you know, was able to talk to him into a. You know, again, I'm not, I, I say I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, but right. you can speak to me and I will die with it. I was able to talk to another person well, another couple of people and they were able to, you know, kind of confront certain animals that they're wrestling with and, you know, begin a process of like inpatient therapy uh-huh. or one person went to rehab. That's And, yeah. and you know, again, it's just, you, the t- so many people in, in Wall Street and certainly in media pride themselves on their endurance and their toughness and, and the way they sort of express their humanity at night or alone is, is to, you know, abuse drugs or alcohol or, you know, I also, you know, I have anxiety and depression all in my background and I had to spend a few weeks uh, putting that together at one point. And, and I, you know, I've, I know what that looks like uh-huh. and you know, I'm a pretty driven man. I work as hard as anybody else. And yeah. I, 
the animating thing in me is a fear, is an outrage. It's a wolf that I walk. You know, I can, because of a variety of different things, I'm able to keep that, that the hatred and the anger, you know, and the malice. I'm able to, to spiritually walk away from that and, and, you know, go after wrongdoing for the right reasons on my, in my way and on my time. And, and that's, you know, that's a gift from a God, a higher power, whatever you call it, but Mm -hmm. other people don't have that. And so I'm able to kind of engage with them. And and that's, that's been meaningful because it's, it's such a, a silly bridge to cross, but so many won't do it. Well, look, it's as important as the work, it's as important as the work you did on uh, Valiant or Insys you know, one person at a time. And, and, and at this time people are shut in they're drinking more. Oh, I mean, they're doing, yeah, they're doing a lot. Geez. What a variable. I, you know, you shared a story, you, you know, certainly didn't tell me who it was, anything about it. You just said, look, I, a person had called me, I don't know if it was last year or last week, but they're like, you know, you know, I saw your tweet and I thought I'd reach out. I don't really think I have a drinking problem. You know, I black out every once in a while. Twice uh, a week. Twice a week, twice yeah. a week. Okay. I mean, like, I, 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 I think I don't remember blacking out once because saying I remember blacking out once doesn't really make much sense to me, but I think there was one occasion where I had a, a lapse in, in memory and, and that, and I was, whoosh, geez, I was like, you know, you know, uh, 20, 18, 19, 20 back when, you know, it was, you know, probably yeah. it was, it was legal to drink in Hawaii. So <laughs> But for somebody for for that kind of wow man, twice a week. Have you ever had a blackout, Roddy? Yeah. I I, mean, I was able to say to him, I, I this is a language I can speak. Yeah. And you know, it was an opportunity to say, look, you know, I'm a guy on Twitter, you don't know me, I'm a reporter, you can look at my work, but yeah, I know what it's like to wake up on the floor of a bathroom in vomit. Oh. I know what it's like to have scared kids. Yeah. You know, I know what it's like to somehow talk your way out of a DWI. And I know what it's like to, you know, I mean, I, another story. I mean, I, I, I had walked into a family party once, you know, I remember hearing my sister and my mother and my godmother, um, Oh yeah, Roddy just walked in, and you know, eh, you know, I was, they were. I was standing right behind him. I was getting a, uh, I was getting a drink. Of course, I was, because it, sure. it had been about forty seconds, uh, and I needed to be at the, the bar that the, you know, family party means a family bar. Well, you were around family. That makes me drink too. And uh, I'm getting, you know, uh, uh, a drink, and I heard them saying, "Oh, we love Roddy. You know, a great guy. Love the family. This, that, the other thing." And they said, uh. Then they all said it once, but Jesus, you know, five, six drinks, he's going to get angry or he's going to start telling, you know, BS tales and, and stuff. And it's, it's just like, it's nutty to hear your three closest relatives that aren't your wife saying like, yeah, you know, give him 20 minutes and then it's going to start. And he's, you know? So you were an angry kind of drunk. Yeah. Just, no, I'm just going to get angry and I'm yeah. going to get, and I'm going to settle things. I'm going to put people right. Yeah. And, and, you know, all will work as I foresee in my plan. And, and, uh, turns out that, you know, yelling at people or bringing up resentments from 1977, 
really doesn't always work to your advantage in a in a family dynamic. No. And uh, and the other one that hurt was, you know, they were like, oh, well, if he doesn't get angry, he'll just drink a lot more and just tell BS, you know, bullshit stories. And that hurt too, yeah. you know? I needed to work on my integrity and uh, seriousness of purpose. And, and I realized that, you know, eventually, March of 01, I realized that, uh, you know, the smart money was was betting against me, you know? Uh, so. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. Cause you were like 30 years old, 32 years old. You were a young man uh, yeah. back then to, to realize that soon. I mean, that could go a lot of different ways. And I really appreciate you being so open and honest. And I hope that, you know, somebody that's listening that maybe, maybe thinks they do, or maybe thinks they don't have a problem. They're, People like Rowdy out there you can talk to. There are other programs that you can reach out to. I'm the worst person. Don't call me. Uh, You know, I'm going to invite you out for a drink or something stupid like that. But, I mean, I truly believe, I I believe in the fact that we all need each other at some level. We, you know, and we need to talk to people who have been there uh, in our shared experience, particularly this kind. So it's never too late. It's never too late to reach out. It's never too late to change things and feel better about yourself because, you know, know, we're not, we're not, we're not born happy or sad. I mean, that's a developed kind of trait. You can, it's a choice. You choose to be happy or you choose to be sad. That's, that's our kind of dilemma as, as the evolved human species, right? We have that hard choice to make. Uh, And I think uh, if you're going to choose to be happy, you probably don't want to be abusing drugs and alcohol abusing. I say, yeah, <laughs> just just so. some light uses. I, I don't, I don't, you know. I mean, I, I'm not a guy. I that war is over for me. I don't. Oh, no, look, I, I've, I, I, a couple times I've been out with you, and and I always ask. I don't know why I still do at this point. Like, I mean, three or four times I'm like, you know, Roddy, you mind if I have a drink? Because you know we're at the bar, and like I don't want to make you uncomfortable. You're just completely fine. You're just like, yeah, go ahead, knock yourself out, literally, blackout. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that I think twenty years later. <laughs> well, not that, but yeah. Twenty twenty years later, I think <laughs> I think you really. I'm sure it's a struggle every day. I'm not saying it's not. I'm sure it is, but you really seem to, like you said, you you're walking that wolf. That wolf's not walking you. You're walking it. So, if anybody needs some help, we'll we'll put on our tweet any hotlines that uh, Roddy would suggest that uh, you could call Roddy. Not everybody can call you. I'm not putting that out there for people. You just look. Yeah. You're a fantastic guy, Roddy. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I consider guy. you a friend. I don't, decent. I don't really you. care what you think of you. You're the fantastic it, guy. You and Carl, man, look at what you made. But look, <laughs> yeah, enough, enough about me. What do you think of me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So, famous you, people I have known by Roddy Boyd. There you go. You know, just wrap it up, Rowdy. I mean, anything you want to add, you want to say before the next time we speak that, that maybe we haven't talked, we couldn't talk about it all, you know, I mean, uh, but we got some of it in there. Anything you want to discuss? I mean, I, I just want to say, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I want to run the flag up, you know, yeah. give, give support for journalism. A thought, right? I mean, it, it doesn't have to be mine. There's other great journalism. There's no public. No, no. Well, just make it yours, Rowdy. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, do give, you know, the Foundation for Financial Journalism a look. Okay. I mean, we've been at this for eight years now. And what's the website uh, name? Is it FFJ-online.org? FFJ 
dash online.org online.org okay and and i the, the reporting there is it's tight it's crisp uh we've been at this for eight years and have never received a formal request to of a correction you know we haven't you know i mean well, we take a lot of pride in in being accurate and that's really not that important Roddy. No. i haven't received one of those this week either so that's not unusual and Roddy yeah. is a charity his, his organization is a charity your organization is a charity so that's a deduction right the 501c3 that's a, yeah well, well uh, you know, for us dumb people that's a charity uh, so it is a charitable deduction uh, so yes Carl, it's 100% deductible yeah Carl brings and, up a good uh, point good boy Carl uh, thank you Carl's I mean it, the yeah. guy is money yeah he is money he can fetch too how do you pay Carl like I mean I, you can't I mean it's literally like how do you pay Larry Bird in 1986 how do you pay 1990 Michael Jordan how I don't, do you do I don't know like, how you pay those guys Carl Biscuits <laughs> so and a six of like Stroh's right. well Stroh's comes in 15 packs right in 30 packs okay <laughs> so the Twitter handle Roddy the foundation's Twitter handle is at ffj-online.org, uh-huh. and the uh, my personal is Rod Boyd ILM, R O D B O Y D ILM. Roddy, great, <laughs> great having you on. Hey, it is a big honor to be here. I appreciate this, man. I mean, that's this is great to talk to your audience, talk to you, and you know, you're, you're famous, dude. You hang out with Carson. You hang out with Freddie Brick. Uh-huh. You, you uh-huh. are uh-huh. on TV. Uh-huh. You are well endowed. Uh-huh. Well, handsome, more, all more. These things, well, you know. yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I mean, yeah, all of that is, is, is terrible. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, but it is not it is. in the model, not in the business no, plan. <laughs> no, all of it's true, except for the famous part. But we're, we're glad you're on the show, and we're going to bring you back, and we just think you're fantastic. Keep up that great work. The The other thing we haven't said about your writing that, you know, because I, I, I kind of color myself as somebody who criticizes and critiques other people's writing, yours is funny. So that that's one of the things, as you're donating to a charity, that, you know, mo- the short seller reports, This is he doesn't write that way. He's, he's actually pretty funny. So give it a look. Give it a read. And if you, if you like this show, follow us on Twitter, Wolfpack Research at Wolfpack Reports. If you don't like it, follow us on Twitter at Wolfpack Reports. And, uh, and I really don't want the feedback. All right, Roddy, thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment. Give us a retweet. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.